This is Pastoring Out Loud, a podcast for Bethlehem Baptist Church's South Campus in Lakeville, Minnesota. Are you interested in learning more about our church? Go to Bethlehem.church forward slash south. We're continuing here with part two with Chuck, Nick, and Gabe. So Chuck, one of the things that um, was new to me or relatively new to me 10, 11 years ago when I came to Bethlehem was just being exposed. So um, having spent a season of time in a multicultural setting um, and then spending time uh, overseas and then coming back to America was just being exposed to all kinds of different forms of worship kind of in different places. And you've been all over the world seeing all kinds of different ways that Christians worship God. So one of the things that 10 or 11 years ago when I came to Bethlehem, um, I was introduced to was the idea of heart language. What is heart language? And talk a little bit about different uh, cultures and different ways that they, they worship Christ. Well, everybody uh, created in the image of God has a, has a center on which they best or most freely, most comfortably, most uh, fully express their praise, their delight, their joy. I think I, it was one of those things where your heart language is what, how do you best express your joy or your praise? So all of those are determined uh, environmentally, your, your family, your ethnicity, your, where you were born, uh, what kind of education you've had, the life's experiences. All of those come together to create a, a way in which you best express your praise. When I'm when I'm working, uh, there's music that I just I, I thoroughly enjoy listening to while I'm working, or when I'm doing things that becomes part of my heart language. And uh, so when when we come into the body of Christ. Each of us comes with our own heart language, with our own set of, of expressions and experiences that dictate um, how we best praise. So that happens here in North America just as much as it does around the world. My father grew up in an environment where uh, there were things that shaped his heart language in uh, the season that he grew up with, the education that he received, the the cultural um, trappings of, of his generation. Mine was different. Um, and so we shared similar experiences, but yet different. And so when those all come together, we have people in the body of Christ that bring different heart languages, different expressions of, of ways that they praise together. You multiply that when, when you think about the church of Jesus Christ being every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, all of them come from different geographical, educational, just the whole history of the world unfolds. Some, some have been developed, some, some uh, cultures have not been developed. Some have re, been the, uh, received uh, a lot of development. Others are very, very rural and undeveloped by, by global standards. So everybody has develops a way to to express their joy and their praise. And so the church of Jesus Christ therefore is very diverse because it's made up of all of these culturally developed languages of, of ways to praise the Lord. 
when the gospel comes into a culture, it starts to transform that culture. And then believers in Christ then find ways in which they can express their faith and their joy in the Lord through um, the various uh, styles of music or genres of music or different types of instruments found within their culture. Whether you're not, you're using drums. In the African culture, that was a main instrument that they used for so many different things in their culture. So drums signal so many different things and say different things to people who, who have grown up in that particular culture. In Western Europe, drums were not used. Um, they had the benefit of some of the technology of, of uh, instruments that made different melodies. So stringed instruments, the development of harpsichord, organs, pianos. So they found their expression of praise in completely different set of instruments. So when the Church of Jesus Christ comes together, you can imagine that um, there are a lot of different ways uh, that brothers and sisters in Christ who have the same, same Lord, one Savior, one Lord, but express themselves in different ways. So my job as a worship pastor is to help know who the heart language or know what the heart languages are in my particular context and help shepherd those and, and uh, try to incorporate those so that people feel like they're engaged and a part of the body of Christ by being allowed to use their, express their heart languages in praise to God. But the reality is that um, when we think about Revelation 5 and 7, where around the throne, all of these people are going to be drawn together and we think about what the Church of Jesus Christ represents as a representation of all of those. Church is probably the most diverse group of heart languages and therefore the most diverse group of ways to praise the Lord that, that God has given on this planet. And that's a part of, I think, the witness and testimony to the world that, uh, that Jesus unites. Amen. So another significant element of worship Christian worship in particular, this idea of liturgy. So different people with different heart languages coming together, worshiping together on the Lord's Day, and then they come together and there is a sense in which what they do has kind of formed habits for the life of God's people. And that's that's kind of what we, we get at when we talk about liturgy. Gabe, what, what's liturgy? Is liturgy just a word for uh, Roman Catholic uh, churches, Anglican churches, other things like that? Is liturgy a word that uh, that we, yay, Baptists can use? And what does that mean? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, liturgy uh, tends to get a, kind of a bad rap outside of uh, Catholic, more Anglican, Presbyterian circles. So I guess us Baptists... Uh, tend to steer clear and away from that word. But liturgy just really means uh, order or a structure, a story that we tell, something that happens on Sunday morning. And so really, um, whether you are a part of a, an Anglican church or a Pentecostal church, every church has a liturgy. Every church has a structure. A Pentecostal charismatic church, church's structure would be probably more fluid than an Anglican church would be. But really, the, just the idea of liturgy, um, 
the Greek word for liturgy just means worship or service, the work of the people. Um, uh, Nick actually quoted Romans 12, uh, one where Paul says, you know, this is our, this is our, uh, uh, our service to the Lord, uh, acceptable service. And that, that word just means this is our liturgy. Um, so really uh, all of our, our whole life is a liturgy unto God. It's a doxology unto God. What we do on a, what we do on a Sunday morning really concerns that question. Uh, what liturgy do we follow? What liturgy, what, what structure should we have on a Sunday morning? Chuck mentioned Isaiah 6 many times, and uh, that's probably the, the best pattern that we have for a liturgy in the, in the Bible. Um, there's, there's some other ones like Genesis 1 and 2 would have a pattern for worship. Exodus 19 to 34 would be a pattern for worship. Second Chronicles 7 would, would be another place where we can see a pattern for worship. Uh, some places in the book of Revelation. So we have these patterns in the in from Genesis to Revelation that show us that there is a structure for worship. And I would argue that the story that we're trying to tell on Sunday mornings is the story of redemption, uh, God's love story of him pursuing us in love and rescuing us uh, from our sin and uh, showing us the cross, which is our only hope. And then of course, anticipating his return. And with that, in, in church history, you have kind of the service of the word and the service of the table. Um, and so what we experience in the first half of the service is a service of the word uh, and includes um, a welcome, a call to worship. Um, Some 100 would probably be a call to worship in there. Make a joyful noise. It's a call to, uh, to enter into the courts of the Lord with praise. And then from a, a call to worship, there would be adoration, which is what Isaiah experienced when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Uh, this sense of this, uh, he saw the holiness of God. And as a result of that, he saw his own sinfulness. And that leads us into a time of confession. And so when we see how holy God is and how unholy we are, that leads us to confess our sins to get right before him. Uh, and then confession should lead to some sort of assurance of pardon. When the angel came to Isaiah, um, after Isaiah said, woe is me, I'm ruined, he saw a sin, he felt that sin on behalf of his people, then the, the angel touched his uh, lips, which is a s symbolic of his um, uncleanness, unholiness, um, and said, um, this has atoned for your sins. And so there's a sense of, of thanksgiving that comes from that, knowing that we've been forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future. That's where the cross comes in. And uh, we are we show our thanks we show our thanksgiving uh, with our tithes and gifts and our offerings in response to all that God has given us, and then from there we move to uh, from thanksgiving to now we want to hear the word now we want to listen to whatever God says to the word preached. Then there's typically like a response uh, where we respond in the service of the table. We basically have have table time with Jesus. Uh, where we partake of the elements of the bread, symbolizing his body broken for us, and the cup of his blood poured out for us. And then we respond uh, again with basically a benediction, uh, where that's like a blessing that usually a, a pastor would, would give to the people. Probably something from the book of Numbers. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. And it's really, it's really either a blessing or a charge of everything that we have just we have been participating in this morning 
we don't want to just hoard this experience, but we want to spread it as we leave these, as, as we leave this place uh, to make disciples of all nations. So that is, that is a story that we're telling when we, when we come to church on Sunday, that is a liturgy that we are living out. That's good. So every Sunday we're coming together. Worshippers have different heart languages. There's a form to a liturgy that we're working out that generally speaking, all Christians at all times and all places have some something like this form. And maybe particularly for us Protestants, we have a particular cruciform shape that Gabe kind of talked to there, the, the um, kind of rehearsing the entire relationship of mankind with God, both in adoration and then in confession and then in thankfulness. And then as we come together in all these different heart languages in this liturgy, there's different emotions that are to be expressed. We'll talk about this in the next episode. We're charismatic in our affections at, uh, at Bethlehem. I don't, I don't think that's a, it's not a personality type. Although, I don't know, Chuck's pretty charismatic up there. He's got, a, got some uh, charismatic personality. And what we mean is like the way in which we express ourselves is, well, expressive, I think. So, Nick, what kind of emotions... Uh, are proper for a worshiper with different heart languages in this context of liturgy to come together and express? Is there really just like an emotion that should always be, you know, expressed on a Sunday morning? Is there a multitude of emotions? What would you say? Yeah, I think that uh, if if worship really is the extension of all of life um, with God at the center and our hearts responding to him, then really the whole gamut of human emotions is on the table, um, expressed in biblically appropriate, you know, God honoring ways. And so I think that the, the book of Psalms really gives us the whole depth and breadth of how every aspect of human emotion can be expressed to God in worship in a, in a biblically appropriate, um, God honoring way. And so you have Psalms like, you know, make a joyful noise to the Lord and come into those courts of thanksgiving you know, all of these different instruments that we're told to can express joyfully to the Lord and things like that. And then you have Psalms of Lament, um, where we're coming and, and we're saying, oh, I, I feel the depths of the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of my sinfulness and my, my heart. And, and we're coming to the Lord um, broken and we're coming to the Lord sometimes sad or confused, experiencing the doubts of this world. And so, and that can be biblically appropriate worship. Um, and then there are psalms of expressing to the Lord, man, this is broken. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And so there we see like imprecatory psalms where we're calling out injustice and we're calling out the ways that the world um, is not the way that it's supposed to be. And, and so within the psalms and then within even more largely the whole narrative of the biblical storyline, we just see all of the, the human emotions welling up in our hearts expressed in a way that makes it clear that God is indeed on the throne. And what we're doing is we're taking our hearts wherever they're at and we're expressing them to the Lord um, and asking him to do with them what he will. We're asking him to move. We're asking him to help us to believe. We're asking him to help us to be workers of justice and peace in the world. Um, and in all these things, all, all these human emotions are on the table to be expressed to the Lord. Good. Brothers, thank you. We'll continue this in our next podcast together.